You guys can have a seat. Good morning. If you've been around for New Denver a while, you probably know about our heart for church planting in this city. You might remember in 2021, we helped plant Nova Church, but if you can remember all the way back to 2017, we were part of a group of people in our city who helped plant a multi-ethnic, multilingual church on the west side of Denver appropriately called Westside Church International. We've had the privilege of keeping in touch with the folks from Westside over the years, and we're so excited to see what God is continuing to do through that community. And today we have a friend here from Westside, one of their pastors, Michelle Casas, to speak today. So please welcome Michelle as she comes up. Thank you so much, everyone. I'm very excited to be here. Um, I love the setting of your church. Uh, I heard that this morning the internet went off or something like that. In our church, the AC went off in one of the hottest Sundays. And because I preach from, you know, from the, the, the altar or whatever you call it here, it was, you, you did not want this setting. It was so intimate. I was like, at least it's just my back that's super sweaty right now. <laughs> but so I'm excited that... God chose the internet and not the AC to not work today. Um, my name is Michelle Casas, and I'm one of the pastors at Westside Church Internacional, as Emily was mentioning. Um, I moved on 2017, so a little bit before Westside opened, I moved to the U.S. Uh, I was born and raised in La Paz, Bolivia. Uh, so if I ever say something that sounds weird or I have an accent, that's the reason why. Sometimes I'm like, is that... Actually, a couple of weeks ago, in the middle of a sermon, I was like, is that an insult? I'm just, I just want to make sure. And they're like, no, you're fine. Okay, that's good. But um, yeah, 2017, uh, the Lord called me to uh, move to the U.S. to work on an MA in Justice and Mission at Denver Seminary. Um, long story short, I obeyed, although it was really hard because I only had $20 in my pocket, and that was all the savings I had, but he opened every single door for me, um, graduated from seminary. Um, the, during that whole time, I was volunteering at Westside Church Internacional, and then I became a director of outreach, and right now I'm the pastor of outreach and community care there. And I'm married to a wonderful man. I think we have a picture. Um, that's my husband, Danny. He's from Colombia. We met at the church, and he is now working on his master's in leadership at Denver Seminary. So we're pretty nerdy people. Um, and I'm very excited to preach about the prophets. And actually, I'm very excited to preach about Amos this morning, who's my most favorite prophet, very, very social justice theology um, in his book. And I think we have a lot to learn still today. I love it that I saw a slide that said, reading the Bible in 2023. And that may sound like normal to you, but we live in a world that that's just crazy. It's just crazy for a lot of people that someone would dare to read that book still, still in 2023. And we do that because the Bible is relevant. God's word is relevant. Today's message, Amos' message that was written years and years and years ago, it's relevant for your life today. So I want to invite you to open your heart to what God may be telling you today and what he might be revealing to you today through his word. So enough about that. Now Amos. 
Uh, the context of the book of Amos is actually in 2 Kings chapter 14. I know you're doing the uh, reading the Bible in one year, so if you want to go check it out, um, this is happening around the time where, you know, the kingdoms are already divided. There's the northern kingdom and the southern uh, kingdom, and God calls someone like Amos to be a prophet and talk to the people of Israel and all the nations around Israel. But he's not the regular prophet, which is something I really love about Amos. He's actually a shepherd. And he's more, the word that the Bible uses, it's more like herdsmen. So he has a, a big, big flock. And um, he's called by God. And he... In his own words, he's not a prophet or a son of a prophet, so it's not like a family business, in case you're wondering. It's not like he, that's what he did for a living. He, didn't, he wasn't instructed to do that. He, wasn't, he didn't get the education to do that, but God called him to do that. And what a man this must have been, because he really pushed a lot of buttons on people. <laughs> And so much that they accuse him of conspiring against the king to that point. A no one, what we would think it's a no one. The person that, not the person that went to seminary, not the person that studied to do that, but the one that God called. And that is because God can call, can call you wherever he wants, whenever he wants. And he doesn't care about your past. He doesn't consider what you've done right or wrong or, or many, many of the factors that we consider today. He doesn't look at your curriculum, your resume. When he decides to call you, he also backs you up. And Amos is the example of that. And he continues to that today. Some of us may be numbed today to what our calling may be. Some of us are too busy scrolling on someone else's calling in the internet, and we're not really thinking about what God is calling us to do. But I just want to remind you today that when God calls you, he also backs you up, and he's the God of the impossible. So he might be calling, if he's calling a shepherd, a no one in his timing, to prophesy against the kingdom of Israel and its neighbor um, nations, he can call you to whatever. So I just wanted to remind us that really quick. So the Lord calls Amos. He's pushing a lot of buttons on people, and we'll know why just here in a little bit. But before we go to the why, I want us to understand something. Before we jump, and I got an MA in in biblical justice, so I love to talk about that. But even before that, there's something that's even more important is the ground base of why we do that. It was so beautiful to hear the prayer uh, a, a couple of minutes ago for the city, for justice. And I heard a lot of you to say that it's beautiful. It's beautiful because honestly, I feel like nowadays church doesn't realize that there is a need of justice. It's just about meeting and worshiping God. And I love, I love to enter these doors and hear that. But there has to be a ground base for that. And Amos' ground base was the Lord. And that needs to be our foundation to why we believe in justice. If you're reading through the chapter of Amos, which Pastor Norton promised me that you would do, so I won't tell on you if you're not doing it, but um, Amos 
quotes the name of the Lord 80 times. Bless you. <laughs> he calls the name of the Lord 80 times. Adonai, Yahweh, the Lord. Everything. He, he goes about talking about the Almighty, the creator of all things, and goes to very, very specific aspects of the Lord because whatever he's going to say, Whatever he's been called to say, he's going to say it in the name of that Lord. Not on his own agenda, not in his own preference, or whatever he thinks is right or wrong. He takes his foundation in the Lord. And it's very important that we do this. Because he's about to accuse Israel of very, very big stuff. So if he does it on his own, he's not going to have the credibility that he needs. And check, this is... Check the, the attitude of Israel at the time. In this moment when Amos is giving this message that we're going to get into right now, everyone, Israel thinks everyone else is doing something wrong except Israel. Any resemblance with church today is just a coincidence, okay? <laughs> Israel thinks everyone else is doing something wrong except for Israel. Amos goes about to talk about all the nations before, uh, before talking about Israel, goes about talking about all the nations around Israel, to the Edomites, um, uh, Ammonites, um, Gaza, Tyre, all of those. And then people are clapping and happy. Yeah, you tell them, right? You tell them. You tell them what they're doing wrong. But then they pretty close about to kill him because he turns and says, okay, now it's Israel's turn. And actually most of the book is about that. This is a moment where Israel thinks everyone else is doing something wrong but them. Because how can God's people be doing something wrong, right? If they're looking for God, looking to worship him, this is a moment and a period where Israel is very religious, by the way. They gather, they crowd the temple, and they, they worship the Lord. They seek his face. They sing to him. They worship him. But still, they are in the wrong. And it is those people, those Israel's God's people that Amos is about to call out today. And it is the rich, actually. The rich of the riches of Israel. Now, I realized as a foreigner that talking about the rich and the poor is very different in the U.S. than it is like in countries in mine. Because the rich are just crazy rich in Bolivia. And the poor is people that sometimes actually they walk almost, almost naked in the street because they have absolutely nothing in this world and they haven't eaten in a couple days. Like the poorest of the poor, which is the people I actually work with before moving to the U.S., the most poor people that you could ever imagine. And I know that it is very unlikely to find that in the U.S., but I want you to have perspective today. I want all of us to have perspective today. Just because both of our feet are placed on this specific territory of the world, you and I have more opportunities and a better standard of life than 93% of the rest of the world. 93%. And I'm not saying there aren't people that are 
poorer or richer in the U.S. Obviously, I'm not saying that, and I'm not saying that everyone has the same um, starting line. I know as a foreigner, I've had to jump so many hoops, and I continue to do that just because I, I'm still on a visa, and that closes a lot of doors for me, and I have to, you know, find a way, a legal way to continue to to live in the U.S., you know? And, and I know that there's different barriers, but just because you and I have both of our feet in the U.S. right now, we have more privilege than 93% of the world. So if we see the church as the body of Christ, which is not just enclosed to a territory, but the whole world, then you and I are the privilege of the church. And this is the people that Amos is talking to. He's talking to those that have power. He's talking to those that have influence. He's talking to those that have access. He's talking to those that lead. And these people think they are doing the right thing. They think they know what is right and what is wrong. But they don't realize they're also at guilt and God is about to accuse them. So what is God accusing them of? We're going to turn to Amos 2, 6, 8. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane the, my holy name. They lie down beside every altar and garments taken on pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. Amos 4.1. We're going to read a lot of different paragraphs um, here. Amos 4.1. Hear this word. You cows of Bashan. Here's where the shepherd's language comes out. <laughs> You cows of Bashan on Mount Sariah, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Amos 5, 11 and 12. You straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great are your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. So just this gives you a glimpse of what was going on. This people, God's people, who was worshiping the Lord with what they thought was all their hearts and all their wealth because they're, they're building a lot of stuff for him too, are neglecting the poor. Some of the language that he uses is you're oppressing, you're crushing the needy as you crush dust on the ground. You're imposing tax on the poor. You're receiving bribes. You're oppressing the innocent, depriving the poor of justice. And this is God's response to such behavior. This is his accusation. And this is how he responds to this behavior of Israel at this time. Chapter 5, verses 21-24 says, I hate. If I can have all of us say, God hates. 
Can we say God hates? God hates and despites your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me, says the Lord. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellow, fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Can you imagine God saying, would you please stop that piano? Would you please stop that bass? Not, not any more of that. Not any more of that as you're crushing the poor, as you're receiving bribes, as you're not allowing access to justice to those in need. Not enough. I don't want to hear it. I don't want small groups. I don't want BVS. I don't want worship. No more slides, no more sound. Let's close this and until we get things together. Can you imagine that? I don't want to hear it. And then he says, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-ending uh, never stream. I started by saying that this is relevant for us today, and I really mean it. I was reading the other day, you know, we can look at this and be like, wow, yeah, how can they be so blind, you know, like, who would do that? What type of Christians were they? You know, what type of God's people were they? But the other day, I was, I really like history, and I was reading this part of Ghana's slave um, castles. More than castles, they're actually dungeons, because when you think castle, you think of princess and prince and, you know, the king. No, these were dungeons. And um, if you look at, you can Google them after the service. If you look at those dungeons where slaves were were taken, they would put about 100 to 150 people in one of those rooms with no ventilation where human waste would accumulate up until knee um, altitude, what you would call height, height. And people would be left there for around three months because until the last person died, they wouldn't clean all the bodies. So people had to walk or stand or sit for months in that waste. All kinds, all the human waste, everything that comes out of the human body, they had to stay with that. And that's not the worst part of that, guys. They actually built churches on top of these dungeons. And they, as people were screaming out of pain and agonizing down there, these churches were built where people were worshiping. And not just that, they would purposely build those churches because for them, the theology they had is that that was the perfect depiction of heaven and earth, good and evil. How many times, how many times as Christians, we've done horrible things in this world? And I'm not just talking of 2023 historically. How many times has the church body? Because let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. 
What would go through someone's mind as they're worshiping and they know there's a dungeon full of people that are agonizing down there? Maybe some of them thought, I'm just one person. I mean, this is a whole system. I can't really break it. Maybe other people think, well, I'm not the one that placed them there. They must have done something wrong to be there. So I'm just being a Christian and, and meeting and someone else is doing that. So they're avoiding to, to get into that. And maybe today you think, you know, I think we're good. I think we're good at New Denver Church. And you might be good. I'm not saying that you're not. And you might be thinking, well, we don't have a dungeon under the church, so I think we're good. But there's so much more, guys. How many times as Christians we've had a blind eye to the poor, to the oppressed, to the foreigner, to the widow, all those people that God purposely protects because they're easier to take advantage of. It's so easy to look at Amos and be like, what were they thinking? But just look around and look inside your heart and you're going to find out. I know I can find out many times that I can say, what was I thinking treating another human being in such a way? Whether I purposely and actively did something or I just passively let it happen. Israel crowded their sanctuaries to worship the Lord. But the Lord rejected their self-serving individualistic religion that ignore loving others. So if I had to put Amos' message in one quote, I would call it, Woe to the affluence that makes you forget about the poor and still makes you believe that you're in the right relationship with your Lord. Woe to the affluence that makes you neglect the marginalized and makes you think you're in the right relationship with the Lord. And this happens every time. This can happen to you. This can happen to me. Anytime you and I decide what is right or wrong. Every time humanity says this is our standards, this is what we believe it's good and, and right or wrong and evil, this is what happens. But God, God who actually created all things, he gets a saying on what is actually good and evil. There's a term, and I think you just put it a little bit ago, it's tough and ra, which means good and evil, but not the good and evil that you and I think or understand, and it could be coming from a good heart or a bad heart. No, not a human good and evil, but God's definition of what is good and what is bad. So in the creation, every time God created something, he would call it tov. Oh, this is good. And then he created something else, and this is good. And then when he ended, he called it very, very good. And he created humanity in his image and likeness, and he also called it good. He created everything in Eden in a state of shalom. I know the word shalom for most of us just means peace, but there's so much more um, meaning to that word. It means peace, completeness, harmony, wholeness, prosperity, tranquility. This is the state where things were in Eden. Everything was flourishing. Every relationship was okay. Everything, everything was flourishing and it was complete and it was good. But then sin entered the world. And ever since sin entered the world, 
evil entered the world as well. And you know what? Now, humanity tries to look for what is right or wrong in its own definition. And unfortunately, when we do that, we start looking at our own benefit. And that means that if we're looking for our own benefit, we're going to try to take advantage of something else or someone else. And you know who the easiest to take advantage of is? Those who are in disadvantage. Those groups that the, the Bible tells us over and over again that God says, take, care, ter- take extra care of them because I know you. I know your heart and you're going to try to take advantage of them. So I'm going to tell you multiple times, don't take advantage of them. Be very careful of them because they'll cry out to me and I will listen. Since sin, we live in a broken world. We feel pain, we feel needs, we get sick, we get hungry, and we constantly try to define what is good and evil to our own advantage, at the expense of others. And those in disadvantage are the ones that we mostly take advantage of every time you and I try to decide what is right and what is wrong. But God is a God of justice. It is who he is. It's his character. It's his nature. And over and over again, he's given us, he's, he's given us the, the, the way to do things. You know, he was accusing them of bribes, of neglecting, of, and all these things he had already taught his people. They already knew, but they were showing a blind eye. Leviticus 16, 19, he told them, do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eye of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. He had already told them, you're not allowed to do that. Exodus 22, 21, do not mistreat or oppress the foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. The gleaning law, which we don't have time to get to. I'm telling you, you can do a sermon series on Amos. It's so much material. And the gleaning law, anyone that had something that they were harvesting, the edges were not for them. The Bible actually tells us that the Lord said, those edges belong to the poor, to the oppressed, to the widow, to the foreigner. They don't belong to you. What are the edges of your life that the Lord is saying, you know, you think you deserve this. You think this is your house. You think this is your car. You think this is your money. You think this is your time. You think this is your resources. But he actually says, there's a part of that. There are some margins there that actually never belong to you. And then when you don't share them with those that belong to, it belongs to, then you're keeping something that was never yours. Isaiah 117, learn to do the right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the cause of the widow. This is an active type of relationship. This isn't just like, well, I'm not the one that's oppressing them, so I have nothing to do with it. Or I'll, I'll pray for them, right? That's such a classic. I'll pray for them. Please pray for them. But if, but if the Bible tells us to plead, to do something about it, Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Again, an active attitude. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up, for, uh, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. 
Jeremiah 22, 3. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor to those who have been robbed. Do not... Uh, do not wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. So basically, all of this, and there's so much more, so much more. I just wanted to give some specific verses where God's basically saying, don't take advantage of those that it is easier to take advantage of. Don't do that and then come worship me. Don't do that and come gather. Don't do that and think that because you are my people, you're safe and you're in the right. The Israelites thought everyone else was wrong. And the church sometimes does the exact same thing. Oh, the, the world is wrong. That denomination is wrong. <laughs> That people from that country, they're just all wrong. They're just all wrong. As if they were born inherently wrong and you hadn't. The unbelievers are wrong. The wicked, those that really do bad, sinful things, those are the ones that are wrong. But Amos is proving that God is calling his own people to say, you are in the wrong. You're in the wrong because you've looked for what is right and wrong within yourself, and you can't do that. I created you in my image and likeness. So what is the solution? And maybe the, the worship team can start coming up. What is the solution that God gives? I mean, he literally saying, can you please stop singing? I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear your harps. I don't want to hear your worship. I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want anything. Because you think you're representing me, but you're not representing me well right now. God's solution in chapter 5, there's three verses, and they all say the same. They're not together, but they all say the same. He says, Seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live. Seek what is good and not what is evil and live. What he's saying here is you can't possibly know what is right or wrong if you try to define it yourself. You can't. There's so much proof that we've done such a bad job as believers in that. But he says if you look at me, if you learn from me, you will realize, you will realize what good and evil is. You can't possibly know. And then he says later in that same chapter, after he says, you've done this and you've done this and you've oppressed and you've, you've received bribes and you've not let justice come to, to people that deserve it. And he says, but, this is his solution, but let justice roll down like rivers and righteousness like an overflowing stream. You may be asking today, am I in the right or the wrong? What is actually wrong, Lord? And that's a good question to ask and continue to ask him after today too. There's a passage that really, really helps us understand what God considers a mean person, a wicked person. Because again, I think as believers we think, I go to church, I mean, how bad can I be? You know, I confess Jesus as my Lord. How bad can I be? And there's a passage in Psalms 146, verses 7 through 9. 
that God says, the psalmist is talking about God and says, He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. So the one that is wrong. The word that the Bible uses for wicked is the word rasha. And it's not what you and I may consider what a wicked or a mean person or a person in the wrong is. The word rasha refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring the image of God that they bear in them. Check out the difference. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring the image of God that they bear in them. Wow. So when you and I mistreat someone, we don't uphold the image of likeness that they've been created with. We become Russia. We, become in, we, we are in the wrong. Very different than we would think being in the wrong is, right? As church people. I want to invite you to open your heart to the Lord today and for him to show you his way. Seek the Lord and live, just like Amos said. Seek him. Seek what is good, not what is wrong, and live and ask him. Because this is a calling for there to be cohesiveness between what we say and what we do. Cohesiveness in our faith cohesiveness in our actions, cohesiveness in our worship to the Lord, cohesiveness in our love, loving our, our God, loving our neighbor. He's making a call to cohesiveness in our lives. This is very close to each of our hearts. Because we are all at guilt. And trust me, there's hope. The book of Amos even ends with a call to restoration, not of destruction. After he accuses of all they do, the book doesn't end with like, well, you're done, I'm done with you. And he's not done with you either. He's not done with you and I. That is the great news. He makes a call for restoration. But restoration cannot happen if we don't repent. So there is hope. There is hope, church. There is hope. And I, again, I am so happy and honored to hear you talk about justice. I love it because so many churches, that's not even a theme. That's not even part of their Bibles, it seems like. But today, I want to make a call to repentance for us to start really upholding people's image and likeness to the standard of God, not to our own standard. And just like Amos said, let justice roll down like rivers and righteousness like an overflowing stream. Let that be a mark of people from New Denver Church. Let that be a mark in your heart. Let that be your biggest worship to the Lord, the biggest sacrifice that you could do and offer to Him, that you uphold others' image and likeness up to His standard. Let me close in prayer. Dear Lord, 
please forgive us. Please forgive us as a church body, Lord, and also individually, Lord, for neglecting what you love so much, for taking advantage of what you protect with so much care, love, and love, God. Lord, would you please show us what are the places, the areas, the systems, the relationships that we are to to let justice roll down like rivers, like water, Lord, and righteousness, like a never-ending flow. Lord, help our faith, our love, our worship be cohesive to the way we act, Lord. May we never, ever hear you say, please stop talking, please stop preaching, please stop meeting, please stop worshiping because you're not doing the right thing and I don't want to have anything to do with that. Lord, forgive for all the damage that we've done as a church body in your name, many times in your name, Lord. Please forgive us for trying to define what is right and what is wrong. Please guide us, Lord. We know that all things have been created for you, through you, Lord whether visible or invisible, whether powers, rulers, leaders. All things were created through you and for you, Lord. So only you who have created us can give us the right standard to what is right and what is wrong. So Holy Spirit, please guide us in such a way to love others in an appropriate and cohesive way along with our worship to the Lord. Thank you, God. We praise you, God. We praise you in this place. Help us praise you not just in our hearts, but also through our love to our neighbor. Amen.